0: Hello and welcome to still watching Falcon and the Winter Soldier. I'm Vanity Fair senior writer Joanna Robinson.
1: And I'm Vanity Fair chief critic Richard Lawson.
0: This is I was gonna say our last episode on this, but I think we're gonna have one more wrap up because I've just got one more interview that I am dying to do. Uh, So there will be one more bonus episode. Richard, uh, Richard may not be, uh, may or may not be roped into doing that, but this is our, this is our finale discussion of Falcon the Winter Soldier on Still Watching and what Still Watching is if you are joining us for the first time. Uh, this is a podcast where Richard and I pick a show that we're watching kind of closely and we break it down week by week. So sometimes we have conversations with people who work on the show. Um, and for our Marvel content, we've been uh, inviting our pal, Anthony Bresnikan, on for the sort of end segment to get a little geeky and comic booky about everything. Um, this is it for us, for Marvel, for a little bit, because I don't know whether or not we're going to do the Loki show, but it's not back till June anyway. So um, we have – Richard, what have we – been doing what have we already started doing
1: we've been headed uh, heading to east town to pennsylvania uh to look at mayor of Easttown and her exploits uh on that hbo show um with kate winslet um so we already have one of those episodes in the feed and we'll keep doing that for the rest of its season which is it's Who Done It. so you know it's fun at least to talk about uh um you know theories and all that if it's you know even though the subject matter is pretty grim
0: all the uh the feedback that i've gotten from our listeners so far is that they really love the first episode so um it looks like we're gonna have a f- like yeah a really fun if occasionally grim time yeah. talking about uh that series we got a lot of emails about our accent discussion so we will talk about those um on <laughs> <Uh-oh>. sunday nights <laughs> On Sunday. So uh you can you can get uh, Mayor of Easttown episode one already in our feed and Mayor of Easttown episode two will be up on Sunday. Oscar Sunday. What a night. Um All right. So let us we're gonna we're gonna get into the episode itself. We've got two great interviews actually this week on this episode. We've got two captains. America, if you will. We've got the great Carl Lumley, who, um, spoiler, it was my favorite part of this finale. And we've got Wyatt Russell, the other um, would-be captain. So we will hear from both Carl and Wyatt on this episode. Before we get into any of that, though, Richard, I'm curious if anyone emailed us at stillwatchingpod at gmail.com to give us their Falcon and uh, Winter Soldier ideas thoughts
1: yeah there's one email that jumped out at me um it's not doesn't have really much to do with like what happens in this finale but um it might it's kind of useful to think about when like assessing the show as a whole and maybe marvel as a whole um so zachary wrote to us um i was wondering what your take is on marvel queer baiting its audience these last few mcu projects Telling us Valkyrie is bisexual, but only showing her flirt with Thor and Hulk slash Bruce Banner. Promising a gay character in Endgame, only for it to be an unnamed character cameoed by one of the directors. Bringing Billy and Tommy into WandaVision, but killing them off before they hit puberty so Marvel doesn't have to deal with their sexual orientation. And now the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. After the first episode, Malcolm Spellman was asked about Bucky being bisexual, and he told the fans to, quote, keep watching. Obviously, nothing came of this, and he could have just shot that question down, but he queerbaited the audience to keep viewers engaged. It's especially sad in this series when the show is about how everyone deserves to be seen and represented. Loki's Loki's series comes next, and he's usually portrayed as bi and gender fluid in the comics, but the movies have mostly made him asexual though I'm in no way diminishing asexuality. So I'm not holding my breath for anything on that front. Obviously, I know Marvel has to think about ticket sales, especially China, but I was hoping these Disney Plus series would give us some queer representation. Though maybe I shouldn't be too surprised since they also moved Love Victor from Disney Plus to Hulu because of adult content, even as Falcon and the Winter Soldier can show some pretty gratuitous violence Mm. in almost every episode. So, I mean, what do you think? (laughs) Uh, Points were made, it feels like.
0: It's interesting. I was looking up, I was trying to see what exactly Malcolm Spellman said. Um, and it looks like he said, I'm not diving down rabbit holes, but just keep watching. Which is, it is a really odd response to that question. Um, uh, you know, especially when this series does a lot to give Bucky like a female, not a lot, a, a bare minimum to give Bucky a female love interest when he. Has never had one so far um, in the films. Um,
1: It's possible. I want to give him the benefit of the doubt, Spellman, the benefit of the doubt that, like, I I think when you work on those shows or those movies, like, you really, really don't. You were sworn to so much secrecy. Totally, totally. That you probably have to be cryptic about everything, even if it does, in hindsight, feel like a misdirect.
0: Absolutely. I mean, I think there are so many things that they're told not to comment on. Um, I do think keep watching is not the language that I would use if I was trying to like throw cold water on something um, or be evasive because that sounds like a promise of something. But um, yeah, the Bucky Bucky thing has been so interesting at Marvel for so long because – the reason that The Winter Soldier is my favorite, um, of the Marvel movies is because there is like, I think my favorite Marvel love story at the center of it. And I, I'm not even necessarily talking about like, um, you know, an explicitly queer or, or sexual. It's just like Steve loves Bucky and it's all about trying to like reach and connect and hold on to Bucky. And whether that's like platonic love or however you describe it, that's what Derives the Winter Soldier, uh, that film. And that's why I love it so much because there's like an emotional core at the center of it. And, um, and then, you know, the fans, the fans sort of got really excited about that connection. And then there became like, you know, in the era of Tumblr, especially et cetera, and in the era of, n- scarce representation. Fandoms will create these, these, um you know, these, these slash ships, I think as they're called. And, um and I'm all for them and I'm in support of them. But I do think that like Marvel, I don't know if it's fair to presume, but it feels to me like Marvel got a little uncomfortable with, with how much people were into like the Steve and Bucky of it all. And that's how I interpret this. Like, aggressive <laughs> heteroing of Steve in Endgame <laughs> when they don't even give like Bucky and Steve an emotional farewell. And instead, like, it's all focused on Peggy and Steve, which I'm, I'm down with Peggy and Steve. But I just like that Bucky-Steve connection really gets just sort of the short shrift at the end of, of uh, Chris Evans' time on there. Um, so uh, that was probably a longer, more rambling answer than you wanted. But um, what do you think, Richard?
1: Yeah, no, that makes sense. I mean, I I feel Zachary's frustration. Uh I mean, I'm not to be honest, I'm not that deeply invested in like whether or not there's a queer character in Marvel. Sure. But I think the general sense of like m- you know, mainstream studio network media kind of pulling those little baity kind of moves that that is frustrating in a more macro sense, absolutely. Um I think more granularly Let's not, you know, discount the fact that at the end of WandaVision, she hears her kids' voices crying out for help. So, like, I don't think those characters are gone. Yeah. Um, I know that's, like, maybe cold comfort for those of us, myself included, who were sort of wondering if they might just kind of age them up within the run of WandaVision episodes and have something happen there. But uh, that, you know, didn't. Um, And, you know, I, I think in the case, I wasn't aware that there had been this interview with Spellman where he said, just keep watching. I wasn't really even i know that there is like the, sh- the ship between steve and bucky and all that but um i guess i sometimes don't know how seriously the pe- people m- intend those kind of fandom things you know um i've actually run afoul of other <laughs> fandoms by treating a, a slash ship more frivolously <laughs> than they did um i won't name names but um so, yeah, it's a complicated thing. Yes, there is an underlying business thing. There is an underlying prejudice thing happening. Um, but I think in the course of these shows, these particular shows that we've covered, WandaVision and now Falcon and the Winter Soldier, I don't feel a lack yet. You know, I'm I'm just sort of like, well, these are short runs. They've had this story to tell and then they're done. And I I, I will welcome, I'd rather get a queer character who isn't just sort of like, mentioned or there's a queerness grafted onto an extant character i'd rather get someone who has like actual like texture and developed you know personality um which like maybe will come in the future uh when that's what the story of the show or whatever it is
0: well yeah and here's here's i don't i don't mean to pull a keep watching um on anyone listening but i will say that like it's my understanding that um, Tessa Thompson's Valkyrie character, which, yes, Tessa Thompson, the actress who plays Valkyrie, said in interviews she's bisexual. I believe that they, that both she and director Taika Waititi have indicated that, that, you know, <laughs> that, um, implicit backstory or whatever will be explicit, um, in Thor Love and Thunder that's coming up. Um, I think Tessa Thompson said on the stage of Hall H at Comic Con, like, Uh, now that she is, uh, the king, she'll be looking for her queen. So like, I think that is going, coming in Thor, Love and Thunder, which will be out, uh, in the near future. And also, um, I believe there is, um, a gay character in Eternals and not just like a cameo gay character, but a significant gay character in Eternals. So, um, keep watching in the words of Malcolm Spellman, but I suppose not, not, for Bucky, because that's not the road they've decided to go down for Bucky. Uh, which is too bad, because Sebastian Stan has had a, a, a good history in in, uh, in queer roles. But that's okay. Uh, does that answer the question, I think?
1: Yeah, I think yeah. so. I mean, I, again, just to reiterate, I, I, I feel the frustration. I understand it. I'm not trying to minimize it. No, no. Um, but I think my personal view on it is, like, I would rather it be done well than done perfunctorily you know mm-hmm. and I, I know that zachary was kind of con- cognizant of like how silly it, the, the sort of big touting of the gay character in endgame was and it was literally like one scene random unnamed character kind of thing yeah um so yes it is time we we want we want more of it uh it's coming in eternals and it's coming in uh the thor movie so you know it'll it'll be there
0: Um, so that is, that is it for emails for this episode. Uh, We, like I said, we're going to be doing a wrap up episode, um, next week of some kind. So if you have finale thoughts, especially after you hear what we have to say about the finale, please do email us stillwatchingpod at gmail.com. Um, let us dive really quickly into this finale episode. I'm not super up on it. Richard, how are you feeling about this finale?
1: not up at all (laughs) yeah i i think there are admirable moments contained within um but once we got to sam's big speech in front of a senator and lots of people watching on the street i was like this tonally feels very uh forced i i guess you could call
0: it i just i mean i like maybe if they had had eight episodes this all wouldn't have felt so truncated but i just feel like one of my bigger problems rests with um, John Walker, and Wyatt Russell gave us a lovely interview, so this really has nothing to do with Wyatt Russell or his performance, because I think uh, he's quite good in the role. I just think it's it's really tough to go from such a dark place in episode four, where there's like blood dripping off the Captain America shield, to like you know, a, a minimal appearance in episode five, but nothing that like felt transformative for that character. He still felt very stuck in the, I was right sort of place in episode five. And then in episode six, he shows up. He does have a moment in the heat of battle where he's like, this is not who I want to be. I want to be the hero. Like that's who I really am. I am a hero. Even if I'm not Captain America, I'm am a hero. So he has that moment But it just feels so fast and without much processing. And then all of a sudden, like, Bucky sort of quipping with him and and Sam's giving him like nods of approval. And he's just like, I'm back. Like, there just wasn't time for that character to complete the arc in a way that didn't feel like Whiplash. What do you think?
1: Yeah, totally. And they they tried to establish a crucial you know choice moment for him when he could pursue the people he wants to get revenge on for killing his friend and partner or he could save the people and he's like i gotta save the people and then he drops the makeshift shield as if to say like i give you know yeah and it's like okay but that doesn't that didn't feel that moment did not feel arrived at with any real like accumulation of story you know it just kind of was like oh right we got to kind of tend to him and make sure that he can you know, be at least somewhat reconciled with the good people by the end of this episode um, to sort of set up, I guess, season two. Um, Yeah, it felt frustrating. And, you know, like, and especially after Zemo kind of getting like just sort of dealt with and then tossed aside, it it felt like that again. And then, you know, not that something always needs a distinct villain because Carly and those Flag Smashers weren't really that either. But it just kind of felt a bit scattered and unfocused, and I'm not sure why they went the direction of having this kind of bifurcated um conflict uh, at root in this in the season.
0: Well, I think they were so what they wanted to give us was um all these villains with a point right everyone right. everyone's a killmonger, everyone's Michael B. Jordan from Black Panther, where you sort of agree with their perspective but not with their methods. And, um, again, I just don't know that, you know, and so they're trying to give us that in Zemo, in Carly, in Sharon, in John. Uh, so you've got, like, sort of four antagonistic sources, at least, that um, are are supposed to be also sympathetic in some way. And it just, it's a big lift uh, to to spread your focus like that. I think if they had given us, like, I think there was an opportunity to give us, like, just the character of Carly and develop her as an antagonist yeah. who is, who has like hu- human, um, human motivations and human goals. And, you know, she wants to protect her people, these refugees that you know are are in danger of being displaced because of you know various governments and and once again and it's also shady and nebulous too. Like, what do the flag smashers want? What do the government want? What are they stopping? What are they doing? Like, it all just felt very like soft and loose uh, and vague in a way that like doesn't, I think, in the end, serve their goal. You know to make us feel I I felt for Carly in various moments, but like, she doesn't stand out to me as this like great, great character who is doing something that I'm uncomfortable with, but I see so clearly where she's coming from. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, it does. We need more of her, you know, more, more like, you know, backstory, just like moments where she was a real character, not just kind of this stand in for an idea. Yeah. Um, And I think in a bigger sense with the end, with the Isaiah character getting his due at this museum, you know, very a league of their own um, (laughs) finale. Um, And Sam becoming Captain America, uh, despite what he knows about what the government has done to Isaiah and what it's done just in general, there's this real boosterism in this episode for like opting into a system. And I understand the, the idea behind that in terms of, well, it's pragmatic. You, you can't, you know, we're not going to blow this whole thing up. We have to work within it to like fix it. And I, I get that I do, but it, you know, coming just in the week of the verdict of Minnesota and everything, it just feels very creaky and, and kind of like po- very post nine eleven, like immediately post nine eleven. just like support the troops. Don't question the mission kind of, you know, even though they did question some of the mission, I, I just, the politics of this finale really clanked for me Mm -hmm. um and i think that was made all the starker by this really corny zoomed out of the 1980s or 90s speech where everyone's just listening and standing there for some you know it's like i thought that moment was so unearned especially because a lot of the other stuff that they they've done with sam's character and exploring like how race has been a function in the Avengers narrative and in the U S foreign policy narrative and military narrative was a lot more subtle. And I just felt that the speech kind of made everything in hindsight seems kind of corny.
0: Yeah. um, And you mentioned Carl only Isaiah. Um, I, I, this is the only emotional journey that really worked for me in the finale. um, Truly. And I really think it comes down to his performance being so good. Sure. Um, that his emotions being so su- uh, accessible rather than the writing feeling um, like a natural flow of a character because he was so defiant last week. And then he just like sees Sam do one thing on the TV and he sort of like changed his mind. And and again, I really think Carl Unley sold that to us. Um, in a way that, that did work for me. And I clung to it as something, as, as an emotional beat that really, really did work for me. Um, but the Sam of it all, like, I, I want to be so excited to see Sam step fully into his power. Like, that's what I want. I want Sam to have whatever, you know, role he wants. I want him to be the hero that he wants to be. Um, I'm just not sure I fully understand why he went from that conversation with Isaiah to, putting on this costume and then also on a yeah. really superficial level i don't think the costume works very well um it looks silly it looks silly i'm sorry it
1: looks with the kind of uh, wrap around oakley's red tinted i know that those those kind of lenses have functioned in 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 like the falcon costume and other yeah. things yeah but like with the brighter white and blue it looks like an action figure but like for an older action figure it just there's something about it that I kind of guffawed when it fir- he first showed up in it.
0: I mean, I didn't guffaw, but like, you know, there was so much said about John Walker's costume and how it looked wrong on him. Like the Captain America costume looked wrong on him. And I think this costume looks wrong on Sam, not for character reasons, but just design wise. I think it's not, I would call Wakanda and be like, appreciate it. Really appreciate the effort. Thank you for these amazing wings. They're incredible. They appear to be a vibranium. Amazing. Can we rethink the costume design? I I think we should. Um, well, especially because we don't. He's
1: presumably he's not just fighting crime between Memorial Day and Labor Day, and that's the only time anyone <laughs> can wear white. So I mean, and, you know, so I just feel like that's another thing that this episode didn't think about. <laughs>
0: Also, not fair because Bucky gets to look so cool. Bucky in his like one arm leather jacket and like Bucky looks amazing and Sam looks so dorky. And I'm like, no, Sam should look so cool. Yeah. Um, I did like the, the, the moment of the action that I liked is, is sort of that whole like communication with the pilot who is inside the helicopter and the coordinated save and stuff like that. Like, that was a moment that felt very Captain America to me where like, you know, a Steve would sort of connect with a civilian or not a civilian in this case. And like, be like, okay, we're going to do this together. Are you ready? Like, let's do this. And that felt like a very Captain America moment to me that I really liked. But yeah, the speechifying, uh, it didn't, it didn't land for me. And again, this is not that like, I don't think Sam should be Captain America. No, <laughs> I, no, no. I, I no. just like want Sam being Captain America to be better. Um, if that makes sense. And then let's talk about the Sharon of it all. Um, I, I'm assuming you watched the mid-credits. Sequence? I did. For once. Okay. I remembered. Yeah. Okay. Um, so- you know what I love to
1: do when I have like really nefarious plans? Yeah. So I've just been exonerated yes. in the U.S. Capitol. Of course. I love to walk halfway down the stairs and Only then halfway. A full volume talk yes. on my phone about my evil plan.
0: <laughs> Me too. If I have a mustache, I'll twirl it. But if not, yeah, yeah, I'll just serious. let my like. Frosted <laughs> blonde hair blowing the breeze. Um, this is just not fair for Emily Van Camp to have to play this this uh I just don't I don't Okay. So we guessed early on that Sharon Carter might be the power broker, right? They the, they led some breadcrumbs, so this wasn't like a shocking surprise. And talking to Emily Van Camp about it, like she seemed really into this idea of like a a a Sharon Carter who had been left out. A twist in the wind and felt betrayed by her country. This idea of Captain America's most eager foot soldier has been sort of twisted because the whole idea of Captain America isn't isn't what we all want it to be. I still, at the end of the day, have a really hard time believing that Steve Rogers would have. This is why I was like trying to complicate it by being like, maybe she's a double double agent or something like that. But like, I just have a hard time believing that Steve Rogers. Would have left Sharon out in the cold like that. He kissed her. That's, that's his version of going steady. And also, complicatedly, she is kind of his niece. So, um, I just don't, you know, Steve is gone. Like, what's frustrating, right, is that they never tell us what's going on with Steve. Is he back in another timeline? Has he actually died? Like, they just say he's gone. They don't, they won't commit to where he's gone. But like, Steve has time, if he has time to bring, Sam, the Shields. if he has time to do various things, even before he goes back in time, he has time to check in on Sharon Carter. And so what they're asking me to believe is that Steve would have just kind of forgotten about Sharon Carter. And I don't think he would have. Um, Maybe what what are you feeling? the, The power broker of it all.
1: Yeah, well, we got an email from a listener named Jeff, who kind of basically was like, I don't buy that Steve would treat her like that um he did have time there were 5 years during the blip like and i yeah i hadn't really thought about it in those terms i guess because i kind of didn't quite remember where her character had ended up in when we last saw her
0: well even if like she was she was listed as missing Um, because she, basically she had gone underground. And so, like, even, even if Steve thought she had been snapped, so didn't look for her for those five years because he thought she was just dust, there is still, there were still other pockets of time for him to go looking for her. Anyway, go ahead.
1: I guess even heroes can be like ghosters, you know, (laughs) like, it's kind of shitty men just don't get in touch with people. Um, yeah, I I think I, I you look, I I it's fun that Emily Van Camp who is a good actor and I've watched her in many things and I think it's just kind of harkening back to her in Revenge. Like she it's fun to watch her kind of be wicked and and, oh, and yeah. have that little surprise and everything. Yeah. But I think it it, uh, it also just felt like they literally had a character walk out 2 seconds after it was semi revealed that she was in cahoots with um Carly another character walked out and said, "Oh, so you're the power broker." And it was like, "Oh, okay. I, you know, like it it felt like they were really rushing that reveal to the extent that they just had to literally say it out loud. And then to follow that up with um you know, this kind of let's talk about my evil plan mere steps away from the people I'm trying to be spying on. Um that felt silly. I think in a bigger sense though, Sharon being welcomed back into the fold and, and sort of s- still working against it for who we don't really know, I guess. Um That weirdly feels like kind of where Sam's arc should have gone instead, because he has this realization about how rotten at the core because of racism and discrimination, this whole enterprise has been for decades. Mm-hmm. And then, the episode ends and then the new episode he's completely opted back in and the series you know placates you by thinking if you make one impassioned speech to a stubborn senator they'll change their mind and everything will be fine so don't try to fight it any harder than that you know appeal to emotion and then just trust in the system and that clearly given current reality in the real world like that's not how things work um and i feel like even though she's doing going off to do nefarious things, Sharon is keener to that reality than Sam is. And I think mm-hmm. that sort of mm-hmm. weirdly gives her the closure or the, the catharsis or something that he kind of should have gotten over the course of this season.
0: One thing I wonder, this is something Emily Van Camp said to me in our interview last week is that she was shooting this and her other show, the resident at the same time. And there was a lot of scheduling, um, careful scheduling they had to do. And I just almost wonder if, you know, they really wanted Sharon Carter. She really wants to do it. She's on this other show. They make it work, but by make it work, that means she's, like, on the other side of a phone call in two episodes. Do you know what I mean? And so it's like, mm-hmm. uh, if – if I don't know if they had had full access to her, if there was something more developed they could have done for her character that could have made me feel like we got to where we need to go. But, like, okay, so so if you're listening to this, maybe you've already shut this off. If you're listening to this and you're like, oh, they're so negative, I really love the episode, I bet you – um so much that Anthony Rezikin liked this better than both of us because that, you know, Anthony, uh, generally has like a rosier outlook on life, I think, than both of us. So, um, stay tuned for later. <laughs> <laughs> you might hear um, Anthony, uh, you know, make the case for why this worked for him, and um, we also have two great interviews. So I just want to say that, like, if you're, it's okay if you disagree with us. That's fine. If you loved it, um, I just yeah, we're wanna, not trying to rain
1: on parades. It just, no, you know,
0: I just yeah. wanted it to be great, and I just didn't feel like it was great. And it actually feels like to me the shakiest installment that we've seen from Marvel for a good long time. That's how I feel about this show. Yeah. Um, they they said they might do a second season and I, I'm at the point right now where I don't really want that. It's not that I don't want to see these characters again. I just don't know that I want, um, you know, the closing title card was captain America and the winter soldier. Like, I don't know that I even want like a captain America and the winter soldier show unless they, you know, have a, have a really an interesting, more interesting edge on it. Uh, if that makes sense. um, the there are there are potential there's potential here for these characters to appear in other shows that they have planned um shows like secret invasion or armor wars were kind of like teased i think here but like wandavision which i loved um wandavision also felt like it had a kind of clunky wrap-up um and once again both of these productions were somewhat impacted by covid so uh, i i'm I think I'm ready to say that right now marvel t v disney plus marvel t v has a bit of a finale problem, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I will be curious to see if they fix that going forward so well,
1: because they don't do finales you know ultimately right. it's ongoing, you know, yeah, and and the and Marvel so you, story goes
0: ever on, yeah,
1: and I also think that that Falcon and the Winter Soldier really tested the limits of Marvel's sort of political savvy and and kind of interest you know sort of capacity for introspection because they really tried to, to you know uh, walk up to something very serious and and relevant i mean it's been relevant you know since for 400 years but like it 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 felt and and it was like it was done well enough in certain moments but then ultimately the machine took back over and it kind of made everything feel flimsy in retrospect and i just wonder if maybe there is some sort of grim or i don't know defeatist lesson there where it's like maybe the things should be a little more allegorical if you're going to handle them in the end as clumsily as this episode did i don't
0: Mm know yeah um i'll wrap up um this section with you richard by saying um even though it had nothing it felt like it sort of had very little to do with the episode itself. I did enjoy like the party scene montage at the end. Like I like seeing these characters happy. So I like seeing Bucky sort of like on the way to healing and in a family environment. Like that's a, that's a lovely thing to see. I was disappointed that we got a short shrift on his sort of big, Confession to his friend that we met in episode one that felt like it could have been a really big moment and then it was just a really quick moment, you know? Um yeah. but, And also they needed uh, to, yeah.
1: I think, better illustrate what that meant for the old man, you know? Mm-hmm. Because otherwise it was like, well, are you just trying to make yourself feel better? Or what, what right. comfort is this guy going to take in your story about how you killed his son? And right. then they kind of just like didn't deal with that.
0: Yeah. So, Um. but we will see like you know i'll i don't know i don't know what to say i i I wanted more (laughs) i am i'm excited for loki uh which is the next marvel show because um i don't know that looks like it has um maybe by being less uh no i don't know what to say i might cut this out okay you're (laughs)
1: you're still flustered by the white after labor day thing you're just like you just can't comprehend how that's gonna work
0: see we'll see maybe sam will take the rest of the year off um anyway richard thank you so much for going this journey with me i know that we will be talking again very soon about mayor but if folks want to find you in the meantime where can they find you
1: covering the oscars on vf.com probably tweeting about the oscars that's that's all i'm thinking about for the next two days as by the way i recover from my second dose of the vaccine Yay! everyone go do that if you can uh please why <laughs> I, I want to leave my
0: house get your super soldier serum shot alright so uh, thank you thank you to Richard and we will go now to Anthony's interview with Carl Lovely.
2: we've all been there before you're planning a dinner party or having family over or even just cooking for yourself when all of a sudden it starts to feel overwhelming
0: uh, I live in a very small one bedroom apartment with a very small kitchen I can't
2: figure out what to serve besides water soup at this point I'm Chris Morocco, food director of Bon Appetit and Epicurious, and this is Dinner SOS, a new podcast from Bon Appetit. Maybe it's a last-minute party with no menu inspiration, a kitchen with no space, a toddler who only eats buttered pasta. Name your dinner emergency. We're here to help. Here's how the show works. On each episode, we'll take a call from a home cook facing a real dinner emergency. Then I'll work with one of our editors or someone from our amazing test kitchen to try and solve it because cooking for the people you love should inspire joy without a side of stress. Make sure you're following dinner SOS wherever you're listening. Now.
3: All right. For this portion of the podcast, We have a very special guest with us. I would like to introduce Carl Lumley. He is a veteran stage and film and television actor. Uh, You've seen him in Doctor Sleep, in Alias, in many other things. He is wonderful as Isaiah Bradley in The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Carl, thanks for joining us on uh, the Still Watching podcast.
4: Thank you. Thank you for having
3: me. Uh, We've been discussing your character endlessly uh, ever since you made your first appearance on the show he is such an intriguing man he's got obviously a, a powerful backstory um, I wondered if you could begin by just walking us through the process you went through with Marvel in the discussions about him and what they, how they described Isaiah Bradley to you in your initial conversations
4: he was described as Something that had been uh, hidden away that was part of a program and that in the series of comic books where um, he was first introduced, they basically ran through um, a scenario of a group of individuals who had also been experimented on with the um, super serum. And he was in that group, the survivor.
3: Did the real history of uh, the Tuskegee men, who were part of the experiments that uh, the American military conducted, did that come up at
4: all in the conversation? My understanding is it's predicated on it. Uh, it was the it's the reason, or at least the the vehicle they chose to use in in telling the story of a man like Isaiah Bradley, a black man who. Um, Is a patriot and, um, believes deeply in this country, uh, despite the, what would feel like a contradiction in terms of the way he and other black people are treated. However, um, I think that's, you know, very true to form. Those people who wanted to fight the most very often were people who had been denied the most and who thus believed the most. in in freedom and in the ideals of the country, and were willing to go to battle to help the country adhere to those ideals, uh, or meet those ideals in the areas where it hadn't. So, um, yeah, he felt familiar to me. He felt familiar to me through um, the history of the country. There have been various individuals um, who, would otherwise have um, disappeared, but someone found out and uh, felt that his story was due some attention. Mm-hmm.
3: You're no stranger to, uh, to comic book characters. Uh, you've played Martian Manhunter, you voiced him in animation and uh, been part of the DC universe for a while and now you've joined the marvel universe uh you know crossed over to the rivals for a
4: while <laughs> and played isaiah bradley <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm pretty ignorant about the um the uh, war of the comic world despite the fact that i've done so much of it it um it's uh it's all the same uh thing to me it's uh it's just i guess another another form of uh literature mm-hmm. and i think of it as literature because there are many 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 people who uh for whom that was the way into reading um there there are a lot of of immigrants who learned a lot about english by reading cartoons and um and then the stories that are told i think are not unlike fairy tales or Um, other mythologies where they're based in human behavior and human foibles and and they get an opportunity to discuss things which otherwise might not come in quote-unquote polite conversation well
3: that's exactly what I wanted to ask you is what you thought the utility of comic book storytelling and you know on screen and in the pages uh, might be in terms of addressing real-world issues it kind of helps us uh, put a little bit of abstraction on the reality and and yet see the reality almost gives us a little bit of distance, right? To, to examine it.
4: It's what probably the best of society, um, can hope for when it works. (laughs) I had the idea that the individuals who have gifts, who are willing to apply them and in almost a sacrificial or heroic way, Mm -hmm. um, are more concerned with what's happening in society than they are with themselves. I mean, they take terrible falls and, you know, they fly around and they, they hit walls and they, um, explode into bits and the, the, the more superheroic of them. Yeah. They get ripped up a little bit and ones who are less super heroic have to, um, mend. It's just like, yeah it feels like it's it's just like living it's it's um but it's but it's prettier <laughs> it, what were your
3: you mentioned uh, like the initial approach from Marvel but uh did you have any deeper conversations with uh with Malcolm Spellman about the story he was trying to tell and what he was trying to convey uh with uh
4: only through the text never never in person but i felt um, I felt, I just felt like the, the text that I saw, the, what had been written for Isaiah, um, spoke volumes. And then with the research that I was able to do and the research that I've done my entire life, mm-hmm. um, I, I felt I had certain understandings. I had a father who, uh, reminded me in many ways of, uh, Isaiah, um, You know, a man who was, in my view, not well-treated by the Republic Mm -hmm. and who, um, in his case, uh, just chose to be the best person he could and put those um, ideals into his children and help us all to succeed in a way that he could not, that he and my mom were not able to.
3: Do you think that's something that's generational as well as that... uh older people who lived through those harsh times uh you know at a certain point just surviving is a part of is a noble fight is a part of a uh, of of their stand that they make and do you feel like the baton passes from generation to generation that the push for change becomes uh, uh more pronounced maybe
4: a little bit bold the idea of being an older survivor um I think does not necessarily mean that you haven't had survival in mind uh for a very, very long time. I'll I'll just say for myself, I think, um and for um a lot of uh I remember being maybe ten or eleven years old and being shown um Emmett Tills. Um, the, the, the with MHL. Yeah. And, um, I, you know, I, I don't, um, I don't remember being able to make sense of it. It just seemed that the entire thing couldn't be what it was. But I do know that I, from that moment, and probably to this day, have had some trepidation about being in the South. And I've been in the South quite a bit. So um, I guess what I'm saying is these these um, pieces of information, um, these notions of menace or ill will, they can be fed in and um, people deal with them and don't even know necessarily that they're dealing with them. They just become a part of the way you move in life, a part of the awareness you have.
3: Can you talk to me about... Um... Working with uh, Elijah Richardson and the relationship between I- Isaiah and Eli, his grandson, I know it, we, it doesn't get a lot of screen time. We don't see too much of them uh, and and the lives that they lead together. But what, what what's your feeling about what that relationship is and what he hopes for his grandson and what his grandson sees in in him or knows about him?
4: They have one another. I am not sure... Uh-huh. Who else they have, but they have one another, and um, so there's the connection of generation and the idea of, yes, definitely passing on what you can to try and help equip a young individual moving through in a world that you no longer really understand, so I think the the point that you make about being older is a good one in terms of the world continues to move and change and progress continues to be made at least in this country i feel very good about saying that today um and progress is is possible so people who have experienced a rough a rough history and get set in their mind the way things work it's up to the next generation when they are told by that generation it's impossible you cannot do it it will never happen it's up to the younger generation to say well it may be it may be impossible to you but if it were possible i wonder how i might do it
3: do you think that same sentiment exists between uh isaiah and uh and anthony mackey's character sam wilson the the falcon you know he wants to use the shield and make a difference and yet Isaiah tells him no self-respecting black man would carry that shield.
4: For me and mm-hmm. in, my, um, in my understanding of Isaiah, Isaiah is talking to himself. It's, it's a, almost like a self-deprecation. Um, Isaiah wanted to represent his country mm. um, at the highest level he could and that super, uh, super soldier program was um like any elite elite program you a um had to be qualified in any number of ways but b most importantly you had to be motivated so i think ambition was always a part of what isaiah was doing and i think you know game recognized game you know he looks at um he looks at the falcon and he sees both the potential and the realization of um, of excellence, which anybody who um, has a standard can appreciate. And he also sees um, the possibility for all of the disappointment that will come if you reach too far and fall short. Mm-hmm. But as he was at that age, there's no way anyone can tell you that, that you would listen to.
3: What do you think makes a good Captain America. We've seen in the show the uh, the version that doesn't work with uh, with Wyatt Russell's character uh, and the cruelty he exhibits and the arrogance he displays. But what do you personally think are the qualities that make, uh, you know, made Steve Rogers a good Captain America, or, or in general would make a uh, a good Captain America? We don't know yet whether that will be the Falcon picking up the shield or someone else, perhaps.
4: Captain America should want to recruit the skills and the aspirations and the dreams of of Americans across the board that his um, his judgments about the way he goes about doing what he does should involve uh, compassion as well as um, you know a um, the be efficiency mm-hmm. <laughs> in um, dealing with things that should not be, that he should, can take stands um, that he feels strongly about that perhaps not everyone might agree with but uh, he's inside uh, and living in his truth mm-hmm. and wants that for everyone else. I think also being a listener. Mm-hmm. I think the captain America needs to be a listener of course just to assess For whatever he is being told and make decisions, but even more than that, to allow people to have a say.
3: You mentioned earlier, uh, the research you did for this part. And, uh, I believe you said uh, at one point, you know, research you've been doing your whole life. And, uh, I wondered whether, uh, you've addressed some of them here already, but uh, were there any other specific things from your own personal experience that you wanted to layer into the character you were, Born in Minnesota, right? And your parents were mm-hmm. also immigrants, if I'm not mistaken, from Jamaica? Is that That's correct. That's so you, right. you got Jamaica, the experience yeah. of being growing up as a, a black man in America, but also the son of immigrants in America. And I wondered how that may have fed into uh, your performance as Isaiah.
4: James Baldwin said, if you can face it, you can bear it. If you can bear it, you can change it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's... Um, you know that's what I see a lot of in Isaiah. So you ask the question: Is he resting? Um, yeah, I think in the way you you might rest after you run a marathon, um, it might be a, it might be a good long rest.
3: Yes, you know the Falcon and the Winter Soldier deals so forthrightly with um, race in America, what it means to be black in America, uh, and it. Uh, it has a lot of heavy ideals on its mind, and it, it's. It, I know this story was devised uh, a long time back, and and it contains certain, unfortunately, timeless elements uh, about its story. But the fact that it it's mm-hmm. it, it, it's it, it's airing to the public uh, during the trial of Derek Shelvin for the murder of. George Floyd, and, and, and the finale comes the week of uh, Chalvin's conviction on those three counts. Uh, it's hitting at a time where uh, the conversation couldn't be uh, more profound, and I wondered if you had any thoughts about the way it tackles those subjects and the times we're in, in which those thoughts and ideas that are within the show are, are being heard by a very wide audience.
4: I i'm surprised actually because you know the reality is um i only saw the portions that i saw i wasn't i didn't know what the entire thing would be like so i was so pleased and surprised by by what this is and because i'm not a comic um, aficionado um i know very little so it uh it just strikes me as quite um, quite quite beautiful, the relationship they have the possibility for the relationships that uh people will have with one another. The idea that um there are a lot of people who have superpowers like will, intention, and belief, and no no wings and metal arms mm-hmm. um, and they all have a place in the the battle for freedom and justice. Mm-hmm. Stuff. Yeah.
3: Well, as we wrap things up, can I just ask you uh, how you're doing, how you're feeling as somebody who uh, I know you worked in Minneapolis for the Associated Press when you were early in your career as a journalist. Did you grow up in Minneapolis?
4: Yeah. There's a there's a, a tremendous amount of joy, and it's in some ways it might seem strange because uh, when one looked at what one had of evidence, it's hard to imagine that. There could have been another verdict, yet we know there not only could have been, but there have been other verdicts where, um, things have been quite evident to us as viewers, but for one reason or another, um, justice was not done. So, um, I would say there are all sorts of reasons that, um, I have not been wildly enthusiastic about Minneapolis through my life, winter, um, a part of that. (laughs) But um, on this particular day, and I must say on yesterday, and actually since the 25th of May last year, um, I'm aware that I've been away from Minneapolis. I had been away for quite a while and it had changed tremendously when i went back and i would also say i i had all sorts of friends and acquaintances in minnesota there were some very good 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 white people some very very good 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 black people some excellent native american people asian people or a mix of people but the problem was always placed on the people of color. It was up to us that, you know, our strides were applauded, but they were our strides. And, um, you know, we were running in a separate event. I think I'm proud of Minneapolis today because I think a lot of people are running in the same event and um and helping one another along and i think that i don't know that i've felt a sense of community as much in minnesota in minneapolis as i as i have at a distance sometime Mm -hmm. in this
0: past year
3: that's beautifully said thank you so much for sharing your thoughts with us and
0: uh absolutely the Run for revoke is where you'll meet all the most exciting people in fashion and culture. I am Fran Libuj. Um, who should be the mayor of New York. We all support yeah. that. We support that. <laughs> <laughs> Very nice. Nikki? Yes? It's been really great she being in this beautiful pink room. All right, Asha, can you hear us?
5: I can hear you. All right. Can you hear me?
0: We can. We can. All right, here we are. <laughs> All right, Anthony Bresdekin. Joanna <laughs> that, for, Robinson. <laughs> first of all, that was we just listened to your interview with Carl Lumley. It's fantastic. You did me a solid. You, you stepped in this week. I had, a, I had a, some stuff going on this week. Mm-hmm. You you picked up that interview for me and did a crackerjack job. And uh, Carl was so great to listen to. Um, I, I guess I just wanted to start by asking you, like, were there any moments in the interview that stood out to you that you that you wanted to talk about?
3: Yeah, you know, I I've admired him as an actor for a long time, and uh, he. I, I can tell he's somebody who puts a lot of thought into his role. Mm-hmm. And Isaiah Bradley's, it's not, it's not the lead of the show by any means, but he, I think he carries so much of it, uh, because the show is about history and Isaiah's, uh, he, he's not just a man who lived through that history, but he's a man who is that history, is part of that history and, uh, made that history. And I thought, uh, I thought that, uh, that uh, I keep wanting to call him Isaiah because I'm so <laughs> his voice now <laughs> is in my head as that character. But he, but Carl, uh, he's an actor who has lived through some things. Uh, as he said, he's not just a a, a man, uh, a black man who's lived his whole life in the United States, but uh, he, he was a journalist. He uh, before he became an actor. He's the son of immigrants, mm-hmm. so he he has the American experience, and this is a yeah. show that's about that. And I think. He brought all of that to the performance, and I really—I uh, uh, always feel a great privilege when somebody just trusts you to share those things. So I hope people enjoyed listening to it. I, I certainly did.
0: Yeah, I loved how um, very honest a lot of his answers were. Um, the the Carl Lumley, the the Isaiah Bradley of it all, really did work for me in this finale. It's one of the few things that I just really felt sold on all the way through. Mm. And I, I honestly think that comes down to performance more than anything else. Um, I just think he was really emotionally accessible in a way that, that made, his and and he illuminates some of this in his conversation with you when when he says you know these things about like no self respecting black man should should carry that shield that he's talking about himself yeah. more than anything mm-hmm. else which I thought was sort of revelatory Um and it helped me understand his reaction to seeing Sam in this episode if that makes sense. And I got emotional seeing, um, you know, him him on display in the Smithsonian.
3: (laughs) I thought that worked really well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, there's a one word on this, in this episode that I think is extremely significant. And I'd love to hear Malcolm Spellman talk about the use of it. And that's the word matters. Mm. You know, Black Lives Matter. That's something that's on our minds a lot now. And uh, I think most decent people can agree on upon that and support that but there's a line where john walker says to morgenthal well, morgenthal says that she's sorry she killed or that lamar died that they're not trying to kill people who don't matter which i thought was a very cruel thing to say <laughs> like <laughs> that's a that's a bad way to end your i'm sorry you know uh but uh his i thought and i thought why russell gave a good performance of you're saying his life didn't matter well lamar was a a, a black man but he, in a way he I guess. Would you say he's also uh, is 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 he's a black life, but is that also a blue life? You know, there's the phrase "blue lives matter" as well, which is extremely controversial and sometimes thrown out as a way of uh, diffusing (laughs) or distracting. But but that just the use of the word matters. I thought was very loaded. Oh, so
0: interesting. I I hadn't flagged that. Um, I think that's really interesting. Um, I do think you know. we haven't heard our, my conversation with with Wyatt Russell yet, but he talks about um his character, um John Walker as and Captain America, even when he was Steve Rogers, as like the ultimate cop. That like he is the world's cop. You know what I mean? <laughs> and so like, which is okay. so it's so Yikes. interesting. No, it's so not not necessarily in a positive way because he's talking about like oh, okay. he was talking about in the trans in the in the context of the transgression that John oh, Walker yeah, well. did in, in episode four, right? Um, and transgressions is a really gentle way to put it. And, um, and I just think it's so fascinating that if he thinks of, of, of John Walker as a cop that way, um, I just find this quick and easy redemption for John Walker in this episode. So strange. I um, bothered you know? me
3: so much. The nod that uh, Sam gives him. Sort of at the end, I'm glad they didn't like you know lock arms or you know like high five it or something. But the nod itself, I'm like, I don't, I don't feel like John Walker deserves it. To me, he's one of the, he's more of a villain in this series than. Than Morgenthau was, but uh
0: But I think uh, that's not where they want to land with him, you know what I mean? I think I think him trying on that suit and becoming US agent. Like I know that Julie Louis Dreyfus showed up and and as the Contessa and we were like, Oh, is she nefarious? Is she up to no good? But it seems like maybe not. That maybe she's you know, working for the government, yes, is is inclined to maybe play faster and looser with with the rules than other people but that ultimately like john walker feels like he's a hero and he gets to be a hero again now maybe he's Uh, he's gonna be wrong about that but like
3: i think he thinks he's a hero just for picking up the mail like that guy i know i know exactly but it's just like
0: it's it's baffling to me because i really do feel like the show and i talked to wyatt about this you know and he was like he wants he thinks Or, or I will say this: what they were aiming for was for the audience to see John's point of view. In the end, I didn't get there. I, I have some empathy for him for his loss and stuff like that, but like, there's, I don't see him having done the work other than like throwing down that crappy shield and and deciding to save people. That one act is. For me, not him doing the work to really engage no. with what he did, you know?
3: That's, I think they successfully blurred the line a little bit, but the line to me was still pretty clear. And, and I think that's good. <clears throat> you don't want him to be wholly evil. Like, I think that's one of the strengths of Marvel villains is that they don't go to, uh, you know, uh, total uh, – uh, um, what's the uh, m- m- – mustache twirling yeah. villain, you know, like uh, – but don't, I, don't think, don't,
0: I don't think they were even trying. They don't go full
3: snidely whiplash, you know, <laughs> but, uh, uh, I, I, I like that they complicated it a little bit. That's why I like that matters line. I think that's because I, I, I think about that and it, it's, I have to chew it over. Like, I'm not really sure what it means mm. that he says that. And, and what does Lamar's life mean? And why was she so callous about it? I thought it was a, a, a good, a good, a good addition to the script in that way. Uh, uh, and I don't think that Contessa is good. I mean, her little—I love her conversations with herself. Like, oh, well, that's how I would have done it if I had, but of course I didn't. Or did I? Oh, but I didn't. I well, mean, well, here's, but maybe yeah. <laughs> you know, like she, her little back and forths there are great. And I think she just had a bunch of prisoners executed, is what she's alluding to. So I think she's—I think she's pretty much on the dark side. But she is. Uh, she does delight in in the uh, malevolence a bit don't you think
0: i am I'm, I'm unsure because um
3: she here- doesn't think she's a bad guy but she uh,
0: well here here's the deal like i don't think i i guess i'll say this i don't know that we're getting thunderbolts now or that this is a thunderbolts team now. now. Mm-hmm. I think it's something else and I think it's tied to some of the future shows. I mean, this is is a great place to do some forward-looking speculation Mm -hmm. and and it ties into sort of, I've been thinking about, I told you this before we started recording, but I've been thinking about Richard and I were talking about Marvel having a finale problem and Richard said something about like, that's because they don't end things, right? They just go on. And with WandaVision, that's, I, I, I tended to be kind of soft on the WandaVision finale because I'm like, well, I'm not thinking about it as a finale. I'm thinking about it as a pivot point towards Str- Doctor Strange and Captain Marvel 2 and stuff like that. And so maybe my mistake in assessing this episode is thinking of it as a finale because Marvel doesn't really do finales. And, um, I should think of it as a pivot towards Secret Invasion or Armor Wars. They're like upcoming shows. And the Scrolls question is a really good one for us to consider in this. Um, Scrolls, I don't, I mean, I don't know why you would be listening to the advanced placement section of this podcast if you don't know this already, but scrolls are <laughs> these <laughs> shape shifting um, aliens who, uh, you know, we we got to know in Captain Marvel and Spider Man: Far From Home. Ben Mendelsohn is is the most famous actor who's played a scroll, um, and it's sort of it's a shape shifting alien. What? And, and this the big twist of Captain Marvel right is that the scrolls are benevolent because in comic book lore famously the secret invasion plot line, the scrolls are a malevolent force that have invaded Earth and have been here for a while, and people who you thought were your friends or your pals or your leaders are actually scrolls in disguise. We saw a bit of this with Ben Mendelssohn and Captain Marvel right where he is posing as the head of um uh, whatever. Not not shield at that point. Um, or maybe shield. Anyway. Um, but so scrolls mm-hmm. are coming or are already here, and the contest is saying thing like things are about to get weird. Made me think that like one or two things. Either she's a scroll herself, possibly, or she is building a team of superpower people who are willing to work outside the lines in order to combat the scrolls. Because Samuel Jackson's character Nick Fury is fairly scroll sympathetic, and if she's very anti alien, maybe she needs her own team of people to yeah. combat them.
3: I I feel like we are building toward Thunderbolts. Okay. Um. Not I'm not disagreeing with you, but I do think that this would be, and whether Thunderbolt Ross, the character played by William Hurt in the movies, is a part of that or not, I think it's sort of. It, it it's that that maybe depends on whether the actor wants to return, but the I think it has to do with um, creating a team that's willing to do the things that people like him want. I think his problem with the superheroes is, uh, yes, they save the day sometimes, but they weren't really under our control. Thunderbolts would be like, okay, the Sokovia Accords essentially failed because we have you know enhanced beings kind of doing their thing and not really following those strictures. Well, what if we get some who are on board with that. Let's just put together a team that believes in the Sokovia Accords, at least in theory, and they will, they will do what we ask them to do. And the Contessa thing, like, let's say she is representing uh, the interests of say the United States. I'm not really sure who she stands for uh, at this point, but I think when she says what we need is a U.S. agent. Now that's a name drop of the, you know, the, the, the nom de guerre that uh, John Walker uses in the comics. Mm-hmm. But also it reminded me of kind of our interventionist practices. And, you know, we've done some things, many things as a country that uh, are not cool. Uh, you think think about like the way we destabilized Chile and, 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 and bolstered the, the Pinochet regime. Uh, that's fascism. And we've done that in lots of countries. And I think, yeah, uh, you know what does an agent do represents your interests right like we didn't really care what happened to those other countries as long as it was in our interest and i think that's what the thunderbolts would stand for is uh people who do what this maybe government uh or quasi-government uh, uh deep state <laughs> use a phrase wants them to do so i think that maybe that's what she's kind of doing but she when she reminded me of like these sort of cia figures uh, uh of of the past and maybe the present who feel like well we know best we'll, we'll you know we'll we'll, we'll cause a discord in your country if it benefits us and maybe lowers the price of a gallon of gas
0: um <laughs> i hope you're right that they're headed towards the thunderbolts because i really i felt like they were trying to code john walker as heroic at the end here like he's celebrating his wife he's like i'm back i'm back i'm back i get to be a hero um, and I hope you're right that, that he's being sort of recruited into something a little darker or something like that. I just felt like the show wanted us to sell, to be like, oh, he's figured it out. Good for him. Um, and maybe I'm wrong, but, uh, I don't am Yeah. Wrong.
3: It was a little too far in that direction for me, for sure. Yeah. Uh, but I, I felt like if, if I'm being charitable to the writers that maybe what they were saying is we are. Kind of in this together, whether we like it or not, with some of the people who believe more extreme things,
0: and that and that but, is something that Wyatt Russell said. So maybe you're you're right in that assessment, where he's like, you're the he's the guy who like you're gonna need to call him, and you're not always gonna agree with what he's gonna do, but you're gonna need him. You know what I mean? Is so he, is he the
3: Joe Mansion of the Marvel <laughs> oh, Universe? No.
0: All right, so I want to talk about <laughs> scrolls and another character because mm-hmm. our our producer Dave put this idea in my head and. I've been thinking about it. I feel very frustrated with the Sharon Carter thing. <laughs> yeah. But <laughs> Dave was like, but what if she's a scroll? And then I was like, okay, maybe, maybe if she's a scroll infiltrating the government as Agent Carter, I would not be as upset. She, um, what do you She think? had
3: that funny little disguise skin. I don't know what you Her call mission, it, like.
0: it's a Mission Impossible mask. <laughs>
3: Yeah, but it's like, it's not like a rubber, you know, in Mission Impossible, no. they always have that moment where like the eyes come loose and then you see them peel off the big rubber face. But like this, like it was just, it's almost like a, like a wet Kleenex you put over your yeah. face and you just like peel it off like a, like a cobweb. Yeah. Uh, that was a pretty cool little thing. But can you imagine being a scrawl and being like, oh, I got to wear this like face altering like sheen. A so face, a face it, on
0: my face. Oh. I
3: got, yeah, I can already <laughs> change into whatever. So I don't know, maybe that would really? be- uh, I'm just trying to sense. I'm just trying
0: to make it make sense to me because like this this heel turn for Sharon Carter Um, I, I can I can understand someone being left out in the cold and feeling that way I, I already ranted about this to Richard but like I just don't I cannot align I was waiting for a double twist mostly because I can't align I cannot reconcile Steve Rogers not checking in on Sharon Carter before he goes I yeah. can't make that work for me. So,
3: I mean, in a way, he kind of ab- abandoned her after Civil War, right? She helped him and helped him and Sam get their gear back and get away, and and then they got pardons, and she got left behind. Like, you know, well, that's I a
0: narrative, that- but I just don't think that that's what he would have done. He goes on the run so. with with Natasha, but I feel like he would have tried to connect with her, Sharon, in that time when he's on yeah. the run. I mean, maybe he
3: didn't remember what I said in a previous episode about going back to thousands of years. One of the problems is you have soldiers who fight for you. And if you don't take care of them at the end, they become a problem for you later, you know? Right. But that's, but
0: that's, but that's like the U.S. government not taking care of its veterans. And if we're talking about Steve Rogers, like if you're going to put that on Steve Rogers, like. That's and I can I'm happy to accept that Steve Rogers isn't perfect. That's fine if we want to have that conversation, but we're not really having that conversation. We're yeah. just sort of yada yada yadaing over it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I, I I feel a little salty about it.
3: Um. Yeah. I mean, but there was that word again, agent. When he says, "Welcome back, Agent Carter," mm-hmm. uh, I thought, "Oh, well that again." There's a name drop for you. That's a familiar term go and uh it immediately conjures up everything we know and love about peggy
5: mm-hmm. but
3: uh yeah maybe an agent is in this show is now becoming a dirty word that you're you know you're uh, you know you're not necessarily standing for what you believe but representing the interests of others uh, i don't know but i agree i when she was getting her pardon i turned to my wife and i was like Wait, isn't she, like, the bad guy? Like, are people not aware that she's the power broker? And and they're not, right? Well, like but and that
0: was – I mean, I, you know, I'll pat us on the back for this. It's a theory I picked up from a Redditor, so I'll pat them on the back at the same time. But, like, that was exactly the theory that I had last week, was that Sharon Carter was going to show up, pretend to be helpful, Yeah, which she you did. you called it. You did and, call it. I mean, I that Redditor called it. But I just, like, I latched on to that because it felt – that felt – satisfying except for this like steve element you know what i mean so anyway yeah. um yeah yeah but yeah the agent u.s agent and agent carter it's true two agents um I were you
3: satisfied with the um the scene at the end with uh isaiah bradley in the smithsonian
0: yes i got very emotional about that <laughs> once again uh, i just think that has a lot to do with with carl lumley and his performance which is just so iconic to me so yeah he he
3: validated that speech in a lot of ways for me uh that the the great well maybe i don't know how you feel about the speech that sam gave but he gives that speech on tv that kind of puts it back on the uh the real power brokers you know this uh, uh this leadership body that's trying to repatriate people or uh and uh I like that, uh, uh, when Sam gives him this spiel there at the end when, and I love how casually Carl, uh, what Carl, Isaiah lifts this tree uh, that has a root system and a giant barrel, half a barrel. Like, uh, he just kind of lifts it up like it's a potted plant and puts it on his porch. I love the uh, casual use of his superpowers (laughs) to do some heavy gardening. But like when he goes, You think he has, you know, struck at the heart of what Isaiah believes and Isaiah goes, you know, I almost bought that for a minute. I think it's just that little bit of that cuts the treacle of it, that cuts the sentimentality and says, yeah, all that sounds good. We'll see. I love that little bit of cynicism that he injects. Uh, I thought that helped make the speech work. I almost, I almost bought that,
0: and then, uh, <laughs> yeah.
3: and then the, the bit at the at the Smithsonian. Mm-hmm. Uh, the reason it resonated for me again goes back to that word matters. And, and they don't say it in this scene, and it's not the same as Black Lives Matter, but it's a way of showing Isaiah, you don't have to come out and be out in the world like you can maintain your cover and your protection for you and your grandson, but you mattered. The work you did, the life you lived, mattered, and here is the proof. It is now in a museum. Mm-hmm. It matters a lot, mm-hmm. and I think mattering is something that is meaningful, and it 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 I think at least offers some sort of healing to Isaiah that um you know that that Bucky was trying to do with the people in his life that he was crossing off his list in the uh, in Steve's book.
0: I, how did you feel about the Bucky uh, resolution with his like friend from episode one?
3: I thought it was very interesting because um, I kept wondering. In some ways, I feel the show chickened out in that moment because my question is okay, he has said this. What comes next? What does the old man say? Mm-hmm. And we don't really get that. Now, we also don't get Kumbaya. Where, okay, you killed my son, but now you are my new son. Like, we're there back at the sushi bar, you know, knocking back sake and chatting with the barkeep. Like, um, I like that when he looks through the window, there's that relationship. I got the sense that it was over. That the friendship he had with him was something he sacrificed so that he could give this man the truth that he said he craved. Now, did he want that truth? For real? We're, we don't really get the answer to that. I kind of wish we did you know um and like i I think sometimes there's a not in all cases but maybe maybe the hard truth is not really what we want maybe the healing is more important maybe moving on is a little bit more important maybe that friendship that bucky gave him was better than being alone at the bar you know that's a question i have do you have those questions at all but I like that it wasn't tidy, that it was sort of a fracturing of that relationship. But I'm not sure what the right thing was there.
0: Yeah, I think I just wanted to sh- to see more of of that. More of that. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, this isn't a case where I'm mad that there was so much a- action in the finale versus, like, how I felt kind of about WandaVision. Because, um that's what this show has been right it's been like an action show um i just think you know given given some of the things that sebastian stan has has shown us that he can do um i think there was opportunity for him to have that here um it would have been nice i guess yeah that's all i'll say Something and let me just look back. One last thing about Sharon Carter, <laughs> which is yeah, this: yeah. she was originally supposed to be in Infinity War. Like they were supposed to. Well, in one version of Infinity War, Marcus and McFeely, the writers of that film, were going to show Stephen Sharon like in an apartment, making it go of their relationship or something like that. So, like there was initially this idea that like Cap doesn't just smooch someone in Civil War and then never check up on them again right it's a very a very uncapped thing to do um and uh and then they cut it just because there was like too much that they had to take care of understandably so there's a lot going on in infinity war um and when he and- leaves
3: and then when he goes back in time to be with the aunt yeah
0: that's kind of weird right <laughs> that's, that's, his, that's his niece but like i think they wanted to just really like lean i mean if you watch endgame they just lean on that Peggy Carter thing there that like foot on the gas from the beginning of end game to the end of like him thinking about her, him looking at um, her photo, et cetera, et cetera. And so like at that point there's no room for Sharon. And so then they have to, then they're kind kind of trying to make that like no room for Sharon work thematically for Sharon. Like how can we make that interesting for Sharon that there was no room for her in these movies? Okay. She's left out. How does that feel as a character? Yeah. And I just don't, it just, it involves me believing something of Steve that I can't believe of Steve. So hmm. I, I will never feel right about It's how I feel. I understand. Um, yeah. I, that's
3: valid. Yeah, I, I, I get you. Yeah. It, it kind of treats her like she's a summer camp girlfriend for him, right? Like he's he's camping out in the the 21st century, and then he goes back home. But I feel like even time. Steve
0: Rogers would write a nice letter to his summer camp girlfriend to <laughs> be yeah. like, this was magical, but now I have to go, or something like that. So, I don't know.
3: Do you think she's pining for him? Like, do you No, think she-
0: I mean... I think, Do you she's think she's mad. Like feels
3: ghosted. I think she feels ghosted in general by yeah. everybody.
0: Yeah, so. I think she's mad. Less, e- not even from a romantic point of view. Just from a like no, I no, helped yeah. you I mean, in and you abandoned me point of view. So
3: yeah, I mean, there's like kind of no love, no time for love, Doctor Jones. And when you're superheroing, but like she, uh, yeah, I think it's more. Uh, yeah, we talk about the romantic side of it, but I think it's a much more about like the betrayal of just being. We were on a mission too. We were teammates. Yeah.
0: You know, like imagine you, him doing that to natasha you can't you can't you know, imagine he, him doing that to her he never would he, so
3: he, he kind of did it to tony didn't he
0: did he yeah that like was taking like- the
3: side of bucky over him and not telling him the truth about what happened like you know and remember that famous line where when he goes you know i'm sorry tony he's my friend and tony says so was i
0: yeah all right I'll start thinking about the the flaws in Steve Rogers' eyes. (laughs) Oh no, I
3: I can't believe I'm the prosecution for Steve Rogers in this conversation.
0: (laughs) Well, I guess, I mean, the the you know, this is a... This show is so much about Steve Rogers, even when it's not, right? Because it's just sort of like, how do we fill this vacuum? And what is the appropriate material to put in that vacuum now for the America we live in now? Because Steve is a representative of an America of a bygone era that never really was that America to begin with. But we liked to believe it was. And so who's a more realistic captain america for us to have um i like i will tell you and i and i said this to richard my favorite part of anything that sam did in this episode was like the the little uh confab he had with that um woman in the helicopter to like get him to help Rescue these people. That felt like a really Captain America thing to do. And, and mm-hmm. Sam's empathy, his empathy for Carly, his empathy for a lot of people, his, his past as a counselor, all of that is a tremendously interesting thing to put into the Captain America role. Like Steve had it, you know, obliquely, but Sam has it just more directly. Um, the empathy, eventual empathy for Bucky. It's a, it's a, it's an evolution of a character. Um, and I, I just wish I had more space. To see it executed better, I suppose that's what I would say. I I, I understand. I agree. Yeah. Um, anything else we we really loved about this episode, or or want to talk to talk about in terms of this episode?
3: Hmm. I think we might have covered it.
0: Alright. We're going to have one more wrap up episode next week. Anthony and I will be back with some special guests next week. So, um, I would really love to make that, um, as much of a, a, a mailbag maybe as we can. So if you vehemently disagree with us, if you loved this, if we feel like we missed something, um, in this finale, you can email us stillwatchingpod at gmail.com. Um, and, uh, you'll hear from us and, and some other folks next week. Um, And for now, let's go to my conversation with U.S. agent himself, Wyatt Russell. I would love to go back to the beginning. You've told the story, I'm sure, ad nauseum about how Marvel first came to you. Uh, And I know that they did not come to you telling you that it was for this show and for this character, but they came to you with like a character description that interested you. And I'm just curious if you can recall sort of what it was about that character. Like how did they describe the arc of this character in a way that hooked you?
5: Well, they so but the way it happened was they called and said, we'd like you to read for, you know, this Marvel show. And, uh, they didn't tell me anything about the character other than that, like he's complex, you know? And so I was like, Okay. <laughs> um <laughs> what else so they 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 kind of there was nothing other than this like kind of dummy sides that they give people to read they like they're not actually sides in the show they're they're just like right, um, they come up with like they're tonally what they're looking for, and uh so you know I went in. And, and and they had no idea what I was doing other than just you know, hopefully interpreting the sides the way they want. I honestly had no idea. I was like, okay, I'll do it. And then they're never going to call me back and move on with my life. And, and then they said, yeah, we really liked it. And we would like you to be the guy. And, and I kind of was like, great. Like what, you know, what guy? I have no idea what I'm do what I'm doing. And then they bring, they brought me into the office and unveiled, uh, character and um they they kind of showed me a picture of captain america and rendering of it and i was like oh you know like i kind of confused like do they want me to play captain america i'm like i was like yeah because that wasn't sort of what i was looking (laughs) looking at um or or thinking about doing or thinking was a good idea for me to do i I don't even know it was like kind of like oh boy and then uh I didn't know if that was the, that was the right choice for that. Uh, and then they kind of explained to me, Oh no, he has this sort of, he's a different guy. Um, he's coming in, he's a replacement. He's got, uh, you know, all these issues that he's bringing along with them. And I thought, Oh, when, when they started talking about his complexities or his issues, problematic behavior, uh, was when I, thought okay yeah there's an interesting take i think i can come up with an interesting take on it so that i have an idea of what i'm doing and not like kind of blowing in the wind uh which is what i was afraid of not knowing what to do in like a big machine um then i was able to grab yeah, grab onto yeah. something that i thought okay I, you know if, if they believe in me um and 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 they and What I want to do is what they want to do. Then, then it's a good match, and and it was.
0: You know, I've obviously you're you're a great performer because this character John Walker is so different from anything I've ever seen you play before. Um, And you know, from what I've seen of you, the other uh, more laid back, kinder characters are more are closer to your own personality. And I'm curious, how do you interpret it when Marvel comes to you and says, "Like, we think you're the guy for this part." which is so separate from what we've seen from you before, you know? Um,
5: I think we live in a time now, uh, unfortunately, where people can't and don't, not can't, don't want to disseminate uh, between different roles actors take on. They just want them as brands. It's easier to digest. Uh, it's easier for people to digest people that way. And it's also easier for, companies to sell actors that way when you be you, you become less dimensional, um, in certain, in certain yeah. respects. Um, so I've always tried to not be that just cause it's not what interests me about doing
4: mm-hmm. about
5: acting or being in film or making movies or doing in it. So I was really excited that when they, um, when what I was doing performing wise matched up with what they were, you know, imagining also it took time, right? Like it takes time to figure it out even while we're shooting. And they were open to me trying a lot of different things so that we could all together find a tone that would strike, um, strike the right chord. Uh, so I, I, I felt, that, that, that was a vote of confidence in my ability to bring something, I guess, unique to that suit um, instead of, you know, the same, same old, whatever somebody would have wanted to expect, which I know people, you know, they, they, they wouldn't have wanted the same thing anyway. I mean, that's the, the antithetical to why I makes a show. So I was, I was really excited about, you know, they're taking what they see as my ability to play someone that's different, and uh, you know, it was it's a, it's a vote of confidence, right? So,
0: how you talk about sort of you know continuing to try to find the character as you're shooting the show. So, how did your understanding of the character did it change, or did you have any major breakthroughs um, as you were working um, on on shooting on location?
5: Carly um, and Zoe were the real point people on set for. going forward with questions or directionally where we were going to take a scene, uh, you know, how that was going to be, Malcolm's writing was going to be interpreted. Um, So what was great about my work with them was that they, they were such wonderful collaborators in that they let me do the total wide range, the total spectrum. Like I, you know, I did, did, did scenes that were uh, totally humorous cause I thought it was funny, you know, just, just cause I thought it was funny. I think that, that that's what you have to have to create interesting stuff is the freedom to just go, I just want to try it just cause I want to try it for no other reason. I, I don't know why, you know, there's no, nothing else in, there's no other reason that I think it's funny or I think it's sad or I think it's, you know, whatever, and they let me do all that stuff and directed me that way. So carl would be like, "Okay, hey, do this version. And now do, do, do the one where you find the humor. And then do the one where, you know, you find the, the tragedy in this situation. You know, there'd be like many different versions of the same thing. So that when they build the film, uh, the show, that they have the ability to uh, cut together what they believed was tonally the right performance because that's what you're doing right I'm not, I, I'm not making right the edit so i'm trying to give them you know i have to have trust in the people i'm working with so that when i do give them a wide range they don't fuck me mm-hmm. and, and and create a character that's totally not in line with what we had talked about so i, I trusted them in that process and and from everyone's reaction to the show. I, I It's like, you know, I inherently trusted them for a reason and, and I'm glad it paid off.
0: You talk about like, you know, not wanting to have fear around this performance, but is it is it ever scary to depict someone who sort of finds themselves on the wrong side of their own morals? Like John Walker goes to an extreme that is not just beyond what we would expect but i think beyond what i don't know the john walker who's in that locker room at the beginning of the season would expect from himself
5: yeah i think that um the way you play characters no matter what the character is you know you can play the craziest character in the world like the joker for you know Heath ledger and the joker is like always an example everyone uses because it was so good but he plays the character real it's not there's no there's no um he's not twirling your there's no mustache twirling, which is totally fun in some stuff. Right, mustache right. twirling is totally great in some respect. But for this character it was the reality of him was what made it it made it interesting. And so whenever you do that, you know, <clears throat> for him, he's he when you when you when you sit back and don't just take that kind of person at face value, which is what most people are doing when they see him, right? They take and what we do a lot of today. We, we, we see lots and lots and lots of media. The only way to really digest that media is to take things at face value. We have to, otherwise you couldn't digest the amount of information that's given to us every day. It, it would be impossible if you actually deep dove on every single person that you're interested in. So what was interesting right. about him is that when you, when you just sit back and think about a guy who's gone to war, he's seen Medals of honor are usually things that we as civilians look at and say, oh, he's a great Marine, or he's a great soldier. He did great things. He's awarded this medal of honor. Well, what that means to you is not not equivalent to what it means to him, because that day for him was the worst day of his life or her life, and she'll never or he will never get it back. It's so many friends had to die. So many people had to die. So many horrible things had to happen for that medal to be awarded that it represents failure in John's life. And that's sort of what we took it to mean. And so that is what's driving him to do what he's, do, what he's done. And so not taking into account that he was thrust into this role fresh off of being in Iraq and Afghanistan and seeing some probably pretty awful, horrible things, you now put him in a scenario yeah. where you're like, oh, but okay, now you're a cop. And, you know, go do what you do. And so it's like, okay. And when, and when that guy's a bad guy, and then he goes back, he plays, plays on the wrong team. And and he killed my partner. What, do you, what, what, what would he do in, in Iraq or Afghanistan? He would go chase anybody down that looked like he was in the same uniform, and that he be due to be dead. And so to him, yeah. he's looking around going, you know, knows that now this is publicized in a different way that it hadn't been in his life before and feels wronged when it's taken away from him for literally, in his mind, just doing his job. But he's unaware of all of these other aspects that Captain America needs to be in this situation and feels his back has been, their people's back has been turned, turned to him. And that's why I think for him, he's an interesting character because in that courtroom scene, like he doesn't apologize for what he did. He just tells the government, I did my job, and now you're taking this away from me. So you trained me to do it. You trained me to be here. I'm the one you wanted. And now you're telling me that it wasn't what you wanted because you're just reacting to outside pressure. And he's not used to that pressure. And so you're seeing him fall apart at the seams because he's he's never had to look at himself that way. And so that's what's interesting is you're finding a person on the precipice of having to look at themselves for the first time through a very different lens. And that's what I thought was inevitably, you know, ultimately interesting about his arc.
0: Given that the medal represents failure for the character, how do you interpret um, the the shield building scene at the end of episode five?
5: That is just him going further down the rabbit hole of I'm going to fix this my way. And he only knows how to do things really honestly in in this as we've seen in this series, trying to be somebody that he's not. He's trying the entire time to be this version of Captain America that he's seen as um, Steve Rogers who's like upheld all of these ideals and he's an idealistic figure. And now when it, that idealism has been cracked and taken away from him, instead of folding, John's not the one, bef- he's not going to fold and go away. He's going to double down and now he's going to do it his way. And that shield is when he's, you know, it's obviously not made of Wakandan feel. Um, it's just right. it's a shittily welded together shield that just, that just operates in a very, um, you know, uh, crude level and that's how john operates best. It doesn't mean that he's going to be the best guy or that you're going to want him at a dinner party or that you're going to want him being captain america or you're going to want him to be doing a lot of things, but it does mean that that when you call that guy to action, you 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 call him because you have to have him because he's going to get the job done no matter what it takes. And that's a dangerous guy because you don't like he's going to do some good things and it's going to be very difficult to to separate someone who you need for the help you need to do the work and only it can be done the way he kind of does it. But you also don't want that guy to stick around too long because he's dangerous. So um, I think that shield just, you know, it represents the, the sort of his the crude nature that he's going to exude moving forward.
0: And how do you feel about where John Walker lands overall in the series? Um, how do I feel it where he
5: lands? I think it's interesting. I, I think that, um, you know, hopefully that the arc was taken from someone who you really are set up to not like you're, 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 you're set up to despise him. Uh, you're set up to really, you know, just in every way, shape and form, not like him. And hopefully just be taken down the, the journey of, Understanding where he came from, whether or not you like it, agree with it, don't agree with it, see it as something that's necessary, see it as something that's unnecessary, you're going to understand why he's doing it. Um, and so I think that I think that that was achieved in, cer- in a certain respect, and you know, is a nice promise for someone who is very dangerous and very comfortable is 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 double doubly dangerous and so i think that he's much more comfortable with who he is uh at the end of the series because he's he's grown into grown into himself in 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 a very dangerous way
0: can i ask you about that that uniform reveal uh
5: the, the reveal is funny because i don't know if they kept it in um but i think they did uh when when I came, when I went to see the the costume, I thought you know like they have you know got a lot to deal with. But um, when I went to see the costume, I thought oh they're gonna like it's gonna be different, and uh, it was it's really the same exact costume, um, but it's just like it's just black and red, like it's just black. <laughs> so it's it's the same exact suit, but it's just black. So I came out and said, you know, it's the same suit, but it's black. Like, it's like a kid on Christmas who, like, opens up a present, and you're like, it's cool, but it's, like, I thought it'd be, like, different. And and it's, like, <laughs> so I don't know where they're going with it, but I thought it was kind of funny that it was, you know, it's cool. It really was cool that it's a different color, but it's, like, the same suit. Yeah. <laughs> so. So I didn't know how to react to it to be like, yeah, cool. Because I felt like if I reacted like, yeah, awesome. Then some people would be like, cool, but it's like the same suit. <laughs> 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 and so we'll see, you know, what for this show, it's, it, well, it's kind of funny. He comes out and he says, you know, it's the same suit, but it's black. You know, another little, you know, it also provided a fun, um, a fun thing for me and Julia to just like, to, you know, have a connect connection beyond what was on the page in that scene
0: obviously we don't know exactly where things are going to go for john but what's your what's your sense of where things are going to go for john
5: i don't know to be honest i got no i I really don't have any idea part of what um the part of the way i approached marvel was like it's all you know it's all your last time you're gonna do it You, you know it's like But I think I approach everything that way in life. It's the last time you're ever gonna do it, so you know, do it that way, and then see what happens afterwards. Um, I think Marvel operates that way in a really cool way, where um, you know they don't make decisions before they see what works. Uh, Mm -hmm. I don't think you know I'm not part of any of this decision making, obviously. But they 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 do a really awesome job of of living in the moment in their own in their own universe, which keeps me current, also keeps them interesting. I think, and for me, I, I I live that. I live that in my in my life. So, um, I did this show, going okay, like you know, there's I don't know, I have no idea what happens afterwards. I don't, I'm not thinking about it. Like I could care less. I don't, I, you know, it's just I'm just doing what I'm doing right now. And the more you can do right now, the more it ends up usually being interesting for whatever reason. I don't even know why. Um not necessarily like you're going to articulate why but saying um present is, <laughs> uh like you know heard buzzword everyone's like you just got to stay present you just to stay present, stay present. present. <laughs> but it is and so and so that's why you know that's that's where i'm at now with it is like all right i guess I'll, i guess they'll let me know yeah you know? <laughs> So I
0: don't know. You called uh, John Walker uh, in this Captain America role a, a cop, and obviously, like, there's a lot going on in our current conversation that makes this show feel even more urgent, maybe than it did when you guys were filming it initially. And I'm just wondering how many how many conversations you had, you know, with Zoe, with Kari, with whomever about, you know the the reality of of policing in America and how John Walker relates to that.
5: Um, that was, in, it, it's innately built into the character. It's innately built into Captain America. It's just that you view it differently now because of what's gone on and what we've, what we've mm-hmm. seen. So innately Captain America is the, in the Marvel world, the number one law enforcement ma- mm-hmm. person in the world. That's what his job is. And, uh, so what, in terms of conversations we had about it, there there what i don't like having conversations about what's going on in the world and how it applies to what i'm mm-hmm. doing now because it doesn't necessarily it doesn't necessarily translate to the piece of footage that you're doing it, it it i only care about in terms of when i'm working i only focus on i should say not care about i care about it, i care about everything but i only focus on what i'm doing as it pertains to how it how it is in the story and if the story reflects that which you know i'm not i'm not the writer Mm -hmm. right uh i'm not i'm not i'm not the people doing it if the story reflects that then that's the way to go with it if the story doesn't reflect that but i feel the need because of some point of view that i have in life to implement that into my character it doesn't necessarily mean that's the best version for that point of view and if you put that point of view in uh, in In the wrong place, to me, it can negatively impact that my own point mm-hmm. of view mm-hmm. so the, the, the only way that um I ever do anything in movies that pertain to what's going on socially is if it's built in and in this, it was innately part mm-hmm. of it. It was built in before it before we started shooting. so all of those things that uh, came up, which was interesting, you could say tail wagging the dog or not, were things that um, you have Malcolm Spellman, Anthony Mackie, they are black men in America. That, that's their point of view, right? A, that is that comes from a, a deeper place. And that point of view is applied to this show, because they're writing it.
0: If you if you want, you know, if people see you in this, and they're interested in your performance, and maybe they haven't, Checked out some of your other work. I have my favorites of what you've done, but I'm curious, you know, like what you would want someone to watch next to maybe get the best sense of, of the range of what you can do.
5: Lodge for another.
0: Yeah, that's great. Uh, I'm a big fan of Everybody Wants Some. I think you're great in that movie. So. Oh, thanks.
5: Yeah, um, Everybody Wants Some was, yeah. was, was, was like the most fun experience of all time. All
0: right. Well, Anthony. We are almost at the end of all this. We'll see you back next week. Uh, In the meantime, where can folks find you?
3: Oh, they can find me over at VanityFair.com, writing away and, uh, yeah, that's about it. (laughs) All
0: right, we will be covering the Oscars this weekend, so Mm. stay tuned for that. And and as I said, Anthony and I will be back next week with one last Falcon Winter Soldier chat, and we will see you then. See you then. Bye. Bye.